Hello and welcome to a secretly CIA-funded episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be wrapping up part three of our. And today we'll be wrapping up our Shane Black buddy cop trilogy with. I don't even know what the fuck I meant to say here. It's part three of the Shane Black buddy cop trilogy with 1996's The Long Kiss Goodnight. We'll get into five point inspection with Say No to Nihilism, Fourth Quarter Collapse. A Tale of Two Movies, One Trick Pony, and Gina Davis Eyes. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. Oh, sorry. Sorry I'm late, amigo. It's a monsoon out there. Why is it, why is it so dim in here? Dude, the basement started to flood and then it shorted out with the electrical system. I've got the sump pump running already. I've called an electrician, I don't know. Ah, oh, man, you're always on top of things. Nice work. Uh, when's the electrician getting here? He's got a lot of calls today. He's hoping to fit us in in after hours tonight. Worst case scenario, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning? Dude, no way. No, we can't run a business that way. Look, I took a few shop classes back in the day. Uh, I'll just go down there and take a look. Look, there's still some standing water down there. Let's just get the professional to handle this. It's pouring outside. I doubt we'll even get any walk-ins. No, you know what, Brett? I'm sorry, but fuck that, okay? I'm tired of always being the second banana. Just just give me this one chance, okay? I have some training. I can be the hero this one time. You know, back when I was a teenager, I worked at this electronics store, and the manager, he always hated me for some reason. I just, I could never figure out why. Anyways... We'd give away these AOL free trial discs with, with any purchase, and, and one day a whole box of those discs, they went missing. And coincidentally, uh, my name got mentioned, and my mom let loss prevention search my room, and lo and behold, what do they find under my bed? Damn, your manager framed you? Oh, no. No, I, I did it. I, I stole the damn things. Then what was the point of that story? Look, I never did one thing right in my life. Now, that, that takes skill. So, come on, Brett, let me do this one thing right. All right. Don't make me regret this, man. Be careful. Yes. Hang tight. I'll be right back. Walking down the stairs. Going to get the power back on. Open up the breaker box. And I know just what to do. Because I'm a bad motherfucker. Well, that didn't take long. Uh, Travis, if you're alive down there, uh, we can go ahead and go discuss the long kiss goodnight. Samantha, a suburban mother, has spent the last eight years building a life with a daughter after being found pregnant on a riverbank suffering from amnesia. It's not long before her perfect life is flipped upside down after a horrific car accident dislodges some of her past memories and she begins to regain her killer instincts. To further complicate things, a conveniently timed local news story about her town's Christmas parade tips off a nefarious actor who assumes she was dead and wants to correct their mistake. With the help of a budget PI and her dual personality, maybe Samantha can settle her past and move on with her future. Alrighty, Travis, we'll jump into five-point inspection, but you know I gotta know, what is your quick diagnostic of 1996's The Long Kiss Goodnight? 
Uh, well, this is the Shane Black trilogy. Uh, we worked in, in reverse chronological order. I remember watching this movie a lot as a kid. I think we had the bootleg VHS. Uh, remember really enjoying it. Remember it had like kind of crackling dialogue. I really enjoyed Sam Jackson in it. And honestly, watching it this time, it'd probably been a good 10 to 15 years since I'd seen it. Probably maybe 45 minutes into the movie, I'm like, man, why is this not remembered as an all-time classic, kind of like up there in that lethal weapon <laughs> echelon? And there's just a certain moment in the movie where I'm like, oh, th this is why it's not considered a classic. Because what has a lot of potential, the it falls apart as the movie goes along. And by the time you get to the third act, whoa, <laughs> there's a lot to discuss about this movie. Yeah, I was honestly su surprised. I assumed fourth quarter collapse was about that, and I was surprised you gave it to the fourth quarters <laughs> because I think it starts to fall apart. This this is the problem with this movie, and this is and we'll get into this because this is this is an interesting trilogy where it's another one where we did a single person's work, um, and we did do it in reverse chronological order. And we'll just throw it right out there, get this one out of the way. One trick pony. I made kind of the offhand comment in the nice guys. I did not realize how accurate I was until we went back and then watched this one. And then even finding out that there's a line from this movie that actually came from the last Boy Scout where I'm just like, Shane Black just repeats himself. Like, that's all. I'm like, this is this is the joke I will say about this, Travis. About every 10 years, we get another movie from Shane Black that is just a revision of this movie. And just, we've got another two or three years, and I think we're going to get the next version of The Nice Guy. So, and if they improve every, I mean, this trilogy has proven that they improve each one. So, I'm looking forward to Shane Black's next movie, because it's bound to be, like, I thought The Nice Guys was his swan song. But if this trend continues, I again, in another two or three years, we're going to wind up getting an even better version of The Nice Guys. <laughs> because it is just, it's ridiculous how much he just, he repeats himself. And at a certain point, I made a joke before about he likes watching himself masturbate in the mirror, but like it is like he just like he latches onto things and then he plays homage to himself. And I've never seen someone do that before in their writing. It's ridiculous how he just when Brian Cox's character, I forget who it is, talks about how he puts the gun next to his Johnson because people don't check that. I was like, Holy fuck, I thought that that was a really clever line in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I didn't realize it was just an evolution of a line from the long kiss goodnight. And, and to your point, the way Brian Cox, Brian Cox is fantastic in this movie. I love yes. a lot of his deliveries on stuff. The the scene where the dog is eating its own asshole. Like, I don't know why that scene is in the movie, but I did chuckle. But to your point, yeah. though. When Brian Cox delivers the line about, you know, people don't typically check a man's groin for a gun, the line is a little bit clunkier here. Like, by mm -hmm. the time he rewrites it in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, it's part partially Val Kilmer and partially the, the script, but it's much better delivered, you know, what, 12 years later when Kiss Kiss Bang Bang comes out? And that's, that's mm -hmm. the case for everything in this movie. Yeah, and it is... Again, it's fun to go back and watch, but it is just one of those you're wa you're basically watching the nice guy's script get revised with each iteration you go backwards. And you're just like, oh, he saw what worked, what didn't work. He has a thing for PIs. I don't know what it because each one of those movies has something with a PI. This is where 
kiss kiss bang bang he makes the pi the the smart competent one and then he goes back to where he actually thought that worked better in the long kiss goodnight with the pi being kind of incompetent so he does that with the nice guys it's like and it's just it's insane to watch i don't know how many people have watched those three movies back to back to back but you do realize that he is just refining the same script and it's one of those I'm wondering, like, where did it start? Is now I want to go back ten years before? Like, is Lethal Weapon? Like, how much of Lethal Weapon is that? Is this is the nice guys just the you know Lethal Weapon the 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 best version that of that movie can be? Where he just continues to take that? I'm like, I want to know where this started because it does feel like he just continues to refine it until I don't know if it's the nice guys or as I joke in two or three, we will get a certain, at a certain point, we will get the perfect version of this movie from Shane Black. And this might be a good jumping off point to say no to nihilism while we're talking about Shane Black and his particular Shane Black isms. The Mitch Hennessy character in this movie played by Samuel L. Jackson to call back another trope of Shane Black at a certain point in, in not the, climactic battle but the one right before that where gina davis gets locked in the freezer um mitch hennessy goes with the trope of he becomes invincible all of a sudden he gets blown mm-hmm. out of like a third story window through a billboard while tied to a chair hits a tree falls down the tree and then immediately gets up and scores a throwing knife kill <laughs> even though this whole movie there's nothing about him that has been portrayed as savvy as far as using weapons um but i i'm sure you you do a good job of researching the movies that we watch i'm assuming you've you stumbled across the little tidbit about the fate of mitch hennessy in this movie that he was originally designed to die but test audiences didn't like it or is there more it, to yes. it than that no no exactly yes. that and the y'all can't kill me motherfuckers being a kind mm-hmm. of a, a callback to that but the say no to nihilism part the reason i named it this so, as I mentioned on the previous episode in this trilogy, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Shane Black had a big problem with his scripts getting kind of happier polishes or endings being changed. And this is definitely one of those. But Shane Black wanted to write it as, and I kind of paid homage to this in the opening. If Shane Black had it his way, he was going to do the monologue to himself about, you know, just do this one thing right. We've set up that his kid doesn't even want Christmas presents from him because he thinks it's stolen, which kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Again, at the beginning, mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. stealing the kid, stealing a toy for his kid. But we were going to have Mitch Hennessy just die unceremoniously after giving well, that speech like that. That seems un- unnecessarily nihilistic, even for Shane Black. I agree, and that's the reason why I hated the second season of True Detective, because they do something very similar with Colin Farrell's character, where it's just unnecessary. The director intentionally made it to where it was a shitty ending. Like, why? As an audience member, I don't, I'm i okay with the character dying, but give him his send-off. Let, him, let the character grow. What I thought was weird about Mitch Hennessy in that moment is he's like, I've never done anything right, but as far as I was concerned, the more I thought about it, he, in this movie, he's already done something. He's already done something right twice in this movie. He didn't just drop off Gina Davis, Samantha, after he find after she tried to shoot him with the rifle. He decided to stay it through. And then secondly, when she becomes Charlie and she tries to fuck him, and he's like, no, you're just doing this to try and erase your family. Like, this isn't the right thing to do. He very easily could have just taken, like, 
shagged her and been happy with it but he did the right thing in that instance where he's like no this isn't the right thing to do here so i'm like in that instance when he's talking about just do the right thing for once in your life he's already achieved that twice as far as i'm concerned like not to the degree that he does it in the you know the finale of the movie where he saves the day and all that but for you to say he's never you know his whole thing is i've never done anything right like his character has already shown that he knows the right thing to do and he also didn't abandon his kid yeah did he steal the toy probably or something like that but at the end of the day like he's still trying to be there for his kid so it's not it'd be one thing if he had abandoned his kid he's like yeah i haven't seen my kid in in 10 years and you know i i've i keep meaning to but i never do like he's already been shown like yeah he's rough around the edges but he's not a bad guy so to me when you have the whole speech about i've never done anything right in my life i'm like we've already established that he's not the character that he thinks he is and maybe that goes more into his pathos but i i even to that point i, I don't think that's the case i mean because he kind of embraces who he is i i love his his final line in the whole movie made me laugh with the whole thing <laughs> i i like to be was it frank and and earnest with all women i'm frank in new york and i'm earnest in chicago i'm like that's fucking hysterical <laughs> that's a great line <laughs> I mean, and a great way to, uh, well, the movie should have ended there, but we got to see Gina Davis and her family, or Samantha and her family on the farm, but yeah, I mean, I loved his character in this whole movie, and I, it's one of those, I don't think any, maybe Shane Black movies are cast very well, because um, I can't say, well, partially, Samuel Jackson, I don't think anybody else could have played Mitch Hennessy, but Sam Jackson, I think that was a character for Sam Jackson, we will get into Gina Davis's character. Um, with Gina Davis eyes but um yeah I just I, I don't know I, that's I when you talk about the night like, yeah I, I think it's just weird with that character that I, I yeah he okay so he stole the bonds or something like that maybe that just shows my character as a human being but I'm like that doesn't make him a terrible guy you know I I didn't I didn't I never looked him at even when he's taking advantage when he's taking advantage of the guy who's cheating i assume cheating on his wife or like he's he's with the prostitutes like that guy's doing something wrong and he's just taking advantage of the situation it's not like this was a sting and sam jack and and mitch set him up he's just like oh i'm opportunistic i'm going to take you know oh maybe i can make a few more bucks off of this i just i didn't see it as being him being this terrible person who always fucks everything up which again, another callback to the nice guys, where I guess a foreshadowing for the nice guys, Mitch Hennessy pulls the the Holland March, which, you know, let's keep stringing her along and charging her more mm-hmm. money. Uh, but I'm curious, you, uh, I think one of your five points is a tale of two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is where you were going with it, but the relationship between Mitch and Samantha slash Charlie. Charlie. It was a little bit weird because it felt like there was a draft of the script where they were going to fall in love and be together. And I don't know if like one of the reasons Mitch was going to get killed is because he was going to die heroically. And then it still can end with Samantha getting, you know, together with her husband, even as Charlie. And that felt really clunky. It felt like there were two different versions of the script that were kind of stuffed into the same movie. Did you, so get, did you agree. get a sense of that? I, I think it would have been a cleaner ending to that because I, I did feel the same thing. Like there was definitely, I feel like they were pushing towards a romantic thing. Like, yeah, Mitch said no now, but like later down the road, you know, when things cleared up, maybe there would have been a connection there. Um, so yeah, I, I agree 
I, it definitely would have made it a little bit cleaner than at the end it's like what's going to happen between these two characters because you know in kiss kiss bang bang and the nice guys they team up and wind up being a crew together this one we don't get that you know that side of the happy ending it just seems like you know samantha makes a call to the press <laughs> is talking <laughs> first hand to the pre- fucking president and makes a call so that mitch hennessy gets to be on larry king live <laughs> i have questions Travis. <laughs> we will get to that um but when i talked about a tale of two movies to me this movie gets lumped into the same category as footloose for me where there was a very interesting movie that didn't get completely made footloose is was a difference of where it was a good movie that could have been great whereas this is a movie that i think the biggest travesty is the idea of samantha and charlie having to battle the two lives that they have and you know that the the duality of those those two lives and figuring out what's going to happen and how to fit that on i thought was far more interesting than the back half of the movie which was just almost a generic action movie like there were some cool set pieces and i'll say shane black definitely he almost were i could have it would have been fun to see him write for like a macgyver movie or something like that because the baby doll peeing the gasoline like there's stuff that he writes in the movies i'm like oh that's a cool thing for an action movie like i would always remember Oh, remember in the last and the the long kiss goodnight, like the baby doll thing, because you don't see that kind of stuff like in other movies. But at the same time, like the the action just winds up kind of becoming a generic action movie, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's enjoyable. I enjoyed a lot of the action, but the problem is the first half of the movie. I'm introduced to this really cool concept of she's a world class assassin. Doesn't know that she now knows she's a world class assassin, but she also has a daughter and she's been living like the you know the perfect you know, mom life for the last eight years. How does she now reconcile those two lives colliding together? And we didn't get that. It's basically almost a hard cut where it's like, I remember I'm an assassin. Now I'm Charlie. And it's just like, it's just, it's so ridiculous how quickly those change off. And it's like, oh, now I'm just going to dye my hair blonde. And now suddenly I'm an assassin who doesn't give a fuck about anything. And then we'll clear that up at the end by simply making... Now I'm Samantha and Charlie because I have long blonde hair. See, I'm a combination of the two. But I'm like, we don't ever see that actually fucking happen. We don't see her come to terms with having those two lives with the exception of, oh, I didn't let my daughter die on a bridge. Like, I just think that is as as lazy as it can be in terms of that, you know, them coming to, to terms with who they are, you know? Yeah, this movie kind of crawled so that the born identity could walk. You know, because Mm -hmm. you've got all of the same kind of setup with the potential there. But yeah, like you said, it it feels like about halfway through the movie, they just kind of give up on that. And it it does the classic trope of like, okay, family that's been in the first act, you have to go away somewhere else now so that (laughs) we can have our action movie. And it's like, I, I I feel like we're we're inching close to where we have to start asking questions about this movie. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, I, I'm, we'll get there. I promise. If they come up, we'll, they'll come up. But I have an, I have a list of questions, Travis. <laughs> so, at, well, my first question then is after after One Eye Jack shows up to her house to kill her. Why is it like she knows at this point that something sinister is is afoot here and people are trying to kill her? Is there any indication that like does her family just stay home? Like, 
The family doesn't attempt to hide, do they? Well, none of that. There's holes in that house from a grenade launcher. <laughs> oh, no, no, what no. Object? No, that's Brett. One of my questions was going to be what kind of shotgun was he using? Because that's a oh. shotgun that blows a fucking three foot wide <laughs> hole in the side of a house. Well, not only the explosion that happens and the daughter is unfazed, but she gets kind of knocked down a little bit. I'm like, there is a fire. She should at least have singed eyebrows right now because <laughs> the explosion that that thing generated. If you go back and watch an audience, if you remember seeing this scene in that same scene, the one eyed guy blows a hole in the wall of the house. But then not 30 seconds later, the shotgun cannot shoot through the refrigerator door. I'm like, did you change like from like you said, a grenade launcher round to regular shotgun shells? Like, actually, I'm not sure if you saw it in the trivia or not, but that is actually the same model refrigerator that Indiana Jones crawls into in the Crystal Skull. So, um, it's just that it's actually that explains a, it. yeah, loose connections, but it's actually the same universe. Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's the same model fridge. And when she chucks her daughter through the, the <laughs> hole into the treehouse, I'm like, how much does that kid weigh and how much can Samantha slash Charlie bench press? Oh, was that the treehouse? Dude, I still could not figure out where she threw her. I honestly thought it was the house next door. And I was just like, <laughs> that's a hell of a throw. She just chucks her daughter into the neighbor's home. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? Where did she throw her? Yeah, that was like me, like, tossing a dirty shirt into a hamper. <laughs> yeah, across, across the house, across the apartment. You're just like, woof. It's just like, it was ridiculous, that toss. All right. So here, I'm going to ask you, Travis. I'm going to give it up to you. We have two more segments to get through for five-point inspection. And then we have our... As it comes up segment, I have questions. All right. Do you want to get into I have questions or you just want to finish out uh, five point well, inspection first? We can finish out the five points. Let's let's clean okay. it up. Unlike the, C so we've the got like the CIA was unable to do. <laughs> yeah. So we have fourth quarter collapse, which I'm pretty sure we've kind of touched on a little bit. I don't know how much more we want to get. Into. And then we have Gina Davis eyes. Uh, where do you want to go? Well, I just have one specific note about fourth quarter collapse. Okay. <clears throat> My memory of this movie, I remembered that the the villain, uh, Craig Bil Bilko. Timoth Timothy? Timothy, 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 yeah. Timothy got Timothy felt like he was a seventy five percent of a good movie villain, but the twenty five, I just rolled my eyes. Sometimes he had some bad line deliveries. the The Baywatch Nights line that was clunky as hell. Um, but I remember Timothy going out because he gets shot and falls out of a helicopter. And so when I'm watching it this time and Gina Davis is fighting him in like, I don't even know where they are in relation to that bridge. And she kicks him and he like falls into like the sewer that like ejects him out into the river. I'm like, what the fuck is this? That was clearly how he was supposed to originally die. But because we have the Mitch Hennessy cut, he's he ends up up in the helicopter because they just pick him up off the shore. I thought that was awful. 
Yeah, I I thought well, it was like I thought he was gonna die falling into the water because that's that classic, uh, almost like Nakatomi Tower, you know, like uh, falling. I was like, I was like, that's really anticlimactic. And then when he comes back and she shoots him out of the helicopter onto the truck that's going to explode, which by the way, that explosion would not have killed four thousand people. Like, where were they planning on parking that fucking thing that it was gonna kill four thousand people, but it killed no one but the bad guys on the fucking bridge? Um, but that's beside the point. I'm like. And then him falling on the truck and then being blown up by on the truck. I'm like, it was just so over the top and melodramatic and just cheesy. Especially like where she looks up the flaming corpse with a gun and she has to cut it and she swings. I'm like, why is the flaming corpse with the gun heavier than her? And so much heavier that it launches her into the air at that speed. Because that's it's essentially it's a weight, right? It's a it's a pin. I'm like, so yeah, counterweight, she, yeah. Yeah, it's a counterweight, and it just pulls. I'm like, how heavy was that burning body? <laughs> it pulled her up like that. And this is technically a question, but it has specifically to do with the end. Again, another Shane Black staple. The plot, as far as the plans, don't really ultimately matter, but they were specifically going to blow up a Christmas parade. And Charlie takes the truck and diverts it to the U.S. and Canada border. Mm -hmm. So my question is, why is the second vehicle that's carrying the frozen terrorist along with Mitch, why is it on the bridge as well at the end? I mean, I know it's there so that Mitch Hennessy can drive out of the back of it and save the day, but that's not that's not where they were supposed to go. So the second vehicle would have no reason to drive to the U.S. Canadian border. I, I assume that they had to call an audible when she took the truck. I thought you were going to ask who has jurisdiction at that point, because I don't know how far into the Canadian border that I mean, I feel like that truck is kind of in the middle. So, like, is that going to be an Interpol thing now? Like, I don't know who actually gets to investigate that terrorist attack once she drives it onto the bridge. But, yeah, to your point, I have no like where were they going to plant the car if they knew it was going to blow up on the bridge? that car should have been put somewhere else. Like you wouldn't have it sitting in a, in a, a shipping container on the bridge to then kind of try and unload. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes absolutely zero sense, as does Caitlin, the the daughter, deciding of all the places I can hide, I'm going to hide in this little container on the, the bomb truck. Uh-huh. Yep. I, that, that isn't actually concealed at all because it's a graded box, so people can <laughs> see through it. So even to that point, it's... It is one of the worst hiding spots. Burying yourself in the snow would have been more effective as a hiding spot than where she chose to do. Caitlin, the the world's worst hide-and-seek playing child ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, Gina Davis eyes. Sounds like you've got a lot, of, a lot of content there. So here is my thought. This is another thing. If It kind of is in line with a tale of two movies, but at the same time, it is adjacent. I thought Gina Davis as Samantha is a lot of fun in this movie. Very charming. I could watch what a, you could have made a movie that was just Samantha Kane, and I would have watched that and enjoyed it. It could have been a, an adorable little rom-com. I don't know. Maybe a sleepless in Seattle between her and Bob or whatever the fuck her boyfriend. I don't remember what his name was, but I very much enjoyed her as the quirky mom and the the one-liners the zingers and stuff like that that she was throwing off i even love the the line about um what is it he was gonna hide his gun in his pants he doesn't want to shoot his dick off she goes oh you're a sharpshooter now i'm like that's that was a great line that just snuck in i'm like if you like if it's 
quiet. If you're not paying a complete attention, you will miss that. And that is a fantastic one. But Gina Davis as Charlie is almost unbearable. I thought it was insufferable watching her try and be a badass assassin. I'm like, I don't like, I don't know if you're just not in terms of your range, you can't be that badass hardcore assassin or it's just the way the character was written or the direction she was given by her then husband. But I thought her as Charlie was fucking awful. Like I, she, I could not root for her. I didn't think that she was an interesting character even with her like snarkiness or anything badassery that she was doing, I just I didn't find her interesting or fun to be around. Especially, God forbid, she's sharing a scene with with Mitch because Mitch steals every scene that he's in. So I thought Samantha and Mitch had a really good rapport back and forth. Mitch and Charlie are terrible. All I'm just like get Charlie either she needs to switch back to Samantha or just let Mitch be on his own because. I don't know about you, but I thought Gina Davis as a a cold assassin was terrible. Yeah, I mean, the line that always springs to mind that I always remember from this movie is when she's like gets uh, the, the, they're trying to kill her and they tell her to go down the alley and he pulls the gun and she's like, I'm saving myself for when I get raped. I'm like, mm-hmm. that is so cringe. And yeah, it feels like here's my hot take. This feels like Rennie Harlan and her wanted to spice up their marriage. And so they kind of created this character in their head that, you know, when they have sexy time together, she could be Charlie Baltimore. But the script does Worst, not support one of the. Being, yeah. Uh, just one of the worst names ever. Charlie Baltimore is a fucking terrible name. All right. That is that is one of the worst action names I've ever heard in my life. Uh, but yeah, you, I agree with you 100 percent. Like when Mitch talks about he kind of liked that that school teacher. I was like, you're speaking for the audience right now. I, I miss mm-hmm. like one just small scene, too, that I thought was very charming at the beginning when she goes up into the treehouse uh, and her daughter and her friends are talking about their, you know, with amnesia. And she's like, you know, come take me to the kitchen before I forget where it is. And then like pops back in there and like scares them again. That was so charming. Like that's such a kind of mm-hmm. relatable, like good parent, you know, playing with the, the kids friends. And all of that is just lost once her hair is blonde. Yeah. And I think it goes back to, I just think it would have been a more interesting film if it's charming Gina Davis having to come to the terms that whenever she is like threatened in its, you know, fight or flight, that something just kicks in in the back of her head, like a born identity, something just kicks in. And then like, she's coping with the fact that like, she comes like blacks out basically and comes back covered in blood. And she's like, I, I've murdered people. And I, I don't know how to take this. Like that's way more interesting. And it allows her to stay Samantha the whole movie and still gets us to the end. And it still allows us to have the action. Instead, we get Charlie, who is just a fucking asshole for no and not even like a lovable asshole just an asshole yeah like i I love my favorite scene in the movie is like the the, i think it's a train station they're at that that fight uh because like you said she realizes that it's a setup and she just instinctively reaches her hand into mitch's coat and fires the gun through his coat and as ridiculous as it is when they fall like five stories and she shoots the ice 12 times and that Mm -hmm. allows them to break through. But even that, it was just kind of pure reaction time. Once she Mm -hmm. makes the full switch to the character. Yeah. It's, it's nails on a chalkboard. Like 
when she like kisses Mitch at the end, like this is the last time I'll ever be beautiful. I'm like, what? Where does this coming? Where is this coming from? <laughs> yeah, they're gonna blow my head off. I'm like, what? If what? I'm like, this is a terrible plan then. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. But and once she has the blonde hair, I'm kind of only watching it for Mitch at this point and the action. Mm-hmm. I yeah, a hundred percent agree. I just. I, I, I would love to know if that was the original intent when Shane Black wrote that character or if it was the direction of it or just Gina Davis. That's just not her her thing is, is to play that type of character. But it is just it goes back to the first half of the movie is very enjoyable. And then you do a hard turn and it's just it doesn't work. It winds up not being successful and it, it winds up leaving me like I'm just can we just go back to the first half of the movie? Like, what is this just like a weird hiccup and we we're going to get back to that? Um, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, just, I, I just thought it was crazy how, how off it winds up being. I wonder how long after this did Rennie Harlan and Gina Davis get a divorce because before this movie, they were responsible for one of the, well, I'm kind of spoiling my time capsule here. So consider this time (laughs) capsule real quick. They made a movie called Cutthroat Island, which is one of the most notorious bombs in Hollywood history. And then they follow it up with this. I just imagine... They're at the premiere and Gina Davis is just staring a hole through Rennie Harlan. Like, you convinced me to dye my hair blonde and act this way. Like, you're a fucking hack. I want a divorce. That's speculation. <laughs> well, it's also one of those, like, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. It's like, oh, no, we'll pair up the same director with his wife with in another <laughs> movie. But this time it'll be great because we have a Shane Black script. <laughs> Maybe that's why he just keeps redoing this movie is it's because the first time he did it, he's like, it could have been so much better. And then now it's just kind of like his his unicorn. He has to keep chasing it. He has to chase it like, well, now I I did make it better with Kiss Kiss. But now, now I can make it better with the nice. I know I can make it better like this. What did they this? What did they do to Shane Black? You know? All right. So, Travis, I have questions. <laughs> Now, I'd like to start at the top, but I think there might be some that wind up getting kind of like say, like brought in a little ahead of time. My first question is, all right, why on earth are they broadcasting a parade that happened in Honesdale, Pennsylvania at the prison? Because, Travis, I did some research on this, all right, because I wanted to know what was the closest prison to Honesdale, Pennsylvania. I was like, is that a prison <laughs> oh town? God. And, Travis, it's not. The closest prison, our state correctional facility, why he's in Pennsylvania, I'm not sure, is at least a minimum of six major towns away. And not only that, it's located in Dallas, Pennsylvania, which has its own town. So I cannot for the life of me understand why Dallas, Pennsylvania's news was broadcasting about Honesdale, Pennsylvania's small christmas parade i don't get it that's my first question why uh, i have clearly i have no answer i mean the real answer is so that we can start our plot and i and i right. hold on excuse me plot <laughs> my next question will be have you ever seen a more horrific uh, needs to miss the deer and swerves off the road crash in a movie than this one because it is gruesome what happens in this movie. 
she veers off the road, all right, has something against seatbelts because Gina Davis flies in this movie more than I've seen in a Superman movie, all right? She flies through the snow, all right? She mercy kills the deer, but lets the passenger burn in the car, all right? Well, she does she does pass out. Perhaps she was gonna try to save him, but then passed out. But is that guy ever mentioned again in the movie? No, how, how does she no. get home? <laughs> no idea. One-eyed Jack. All right. How did he escape? He just from break prison? out of prison. How? Also, why didn't he do it before? Like, does he just like prison? Because it seemed like it wasn't complicated for him to get out. It was just one of those like, oh my god, Gina Davis is alive. I have to get the fuck out of here, and he just gets out of prison. <laughs> I'm like. Why was he in there in the first place? If he could get out that easy. Yeah, again, I, I have no answer for that. And Not a question. I love that he, he slips on the peanut M&Ms at the beginning yeah. when, when he breaks into. Yeah, I don't. I don't he had the town. That's, uh, I guess, all he needed. <laughs> all right. I don't know why this one is so far up on the list, but it is. And I don't want to forget because this is a big one. Do you think the kid is actually Timothy's kid? Or was she just saying that to get in his head? I think it was actually his kid. Because I will say they did a good job of casting the actress that plays Caitlin. Because I did think they had kind of similar big brown sad eyes. So I think that was okay, true. Okay, so if, if that is the case, that poses a lot of other questions, Travis. All right. Do they establish that she was planning on quitting the CIA because she was pregnant? Because I'm pretty sure they didn't do that. And especially with her remarks about no one asked me if I wanted to have the kid. Are we implying that Charlie was going to have an abortion? I I took it to mean she didn't know she was pregnant. All right. So she didn't know she was pregnant. They also go to the point Charlie makes the comment to the CIA director that Timothy is the bad guys and like, oh, now we're having to partner with the bad guys. And then it's like, oh, Timothy, the child's yours from that one night we bumped pelvises. Also, terrible sex, like weird sex, right? Again, that cringe. Um, so she's just boning the bad guys? Like, what is the implication we have here where it's just like, and it comes up earlier where like, oh, you, like, the, what is it, the other guy that she kills on the farm? Like, so is it just like, oh, she just fucks everybody so that she, that she can get close to the target? I'm like, what is the message we're trying to send with this? Well, and you might have this question, but I never noticed on any of my other viewings, like you kind of hinted at there, the CIA ends up hiring terrorists to work for them is like, hey, we can't beat them. So let's have them join us because they make the comment that both Timothy and uh, David Morse's character used to be terrorists who then started working with the CIA. Well, I thought uh, what was the other, the guy on the farm that she thought she was engaged to? The actor's name is David Morris. I can't remember his character. So David Morris, I thought there was like a throwaway line that he actually worked for the CIA, that he was a CIA operative and that he needed this as a pay. Maybe not. Maybe I just inferred that because he says something about like, I need this to be my last payday or something like that. Like it's got to go right. So to that point, I don't know. Maybe they were terrorists. Also, does that mean, but again, that was eight years ago. So was Project Honeymoon going on eight years ago and then she 
stopped it and then they resumed it eight years ago or like those two terrorists were working on something she was supposed to take them out she didn't and now like to your point like it's just it's so convoluted i have like no idea it's like oh we just wanted to have the bad guys working for who you thought were the good guys situation it's like okay even though i never thought that the cia were the good guys the way that they're portrayed with you need to tap why tap brian cox like Oh, they're already the bad guys. Like, they're, <laughs> oh, we got her. Like, there was no question that the CIA, their CIA was going to be bad in this movie. Yeah, this feels like like a, there was an unused script kind of, which, let me just say, there's a really uh, prescient movie in here. Like, to think about 96, you know, CIA running false flag operations to raise funding, which a lot of people think that's what 9-11 was like. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of political intrigue in here, but it feels like they dumbed it down just because they were like, eh, let's not get too complicated because people are here for the Shane Black jokes, which mm-hmm. I have a question, Brett. At the end of this movie, when Samantha is free to just turn down the president's job offer, I don't think that's how that would work. There's no way they're just gonna like, you know what? I know you know all these fucking government secrets, but just go live on a farm and be a teacher. No big deal. Like. As soon as she turned down the job, there would be a sniper shooting her through her living room window. It also felt like one of those where, like, that whole thing was supposed to be, like, a nod at, like, Thelma and Louise, what if she got away? Like, they didn't drive off the cliff? Like, did that not, like, was that not reminiscent? Was Gina Davis was in Thelma and Louise, right? Yeah. Yeah. The whole convertible with the, the scarf that she had and the money, I'm like, oh, are we doing, like, a Thelma and Louise joke here? So... Yeah, to your point, like, no, Mr. President. I I also didn't know that was the fucking president earlier in the movie. I thought that was going to be the bad guy. I didn't realize it was the president until the very end when he was in the Oval Office and she goes, Mr. President. I'm like, did I miss a line? Or, like, maybe I did. But I didn't think that that was very clear. Also, he's in on the whole thing. Is or Maybe he is or isn't. Is he complacent? Because there's the whole scene about, like, I'm not going to do something because you lost a fucking age. Like, what is going on with that? That feels like that did not get resolved. Also, he the president has a line. He's like, you, you want to know what happened to your budget? Health care. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> health care in this country is shit. It's always been shit. We're not pumping money into health care. <laughs> so speaking of health care, terrible transition that has nothing to do with health care. How did they find out about Caitlin when Timothy goes and kidnaps her? Like, wh- how did they find out that Samantha... That's one of those, I don't have the suspension of disbelief. I needed a throwaway scene or something like that where like, oh, you know she has a kid or something like that. Where I'm just like, why, like how, all of a sudden they just know that she has a kid and they're going to kidnap her. Also, the fucking church lady makes no attempt to call the police after he leaves. It's just one of those, and that's another thing with these movies and the same thing happens with the, the train thing. All the collateral damage, it's like no one ever investigates it. Like you can completely fucking shoot up a public train station and that's not going to cause anyone to start investigating like who the fuck is behind this <laughs> it's just like oh no that just happens we just every once in a while in pennsylvania we get a, sh- a mass shooting at a train station you know well i mean the the thing about the daughter I, it kind of goes back to our earlier point they make no effort like the family the the, the father or you know the stepdad you know uh samantha's husband they make no effort to go into hiding after the initial one-eyed Jack attack. So, I mean, I guess that's how the daughter gets kidnapped because they're just, hey, you know, my wife's trying to figure out if she's a CIA assassin. Let's let's go to Sunday Mass. Mm. 
this leads into another scene where this is where the movie started to feel as bonkers as Face Off, but not as fun. Um, so it leads into the whole her ice skating thing, which apparently in the trivia, she was supposed to do like an axle. And then while she's spinning, she's shooting bullets and they just couldn't get it to play out. But Thank God. that's not even what I'm going to talk about. My question is, when she had to go back and get the key that was on her daughter's charm bracelet, why not just send Mitch? Mitch could go in there like, hey, I'm helping out your mom. Can I? And then you don't have to worry about her going in there with a fucking sniper rifle and possibly scaring her family. Which also leads me to how I believe the director of this movie is a hack because there was a vi- they could have made an awesome scene so easy and he didn't do it. When she's in her daughter's bedroom and has to, she uses the scope of the sniper rifle to see her family across at the church. How much more powerful and impactful would that scene have been if there had been a literal crosshair from the sniper rifle? So she is literally putting her family in the crosshairs by showing up there. That would have been a fucking awesome scene. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Yeah, it's Rennie Harlan, the guy who made <laughs> the worst of the diehards, at least from the first three. Deep Blue Sea. Um... But yes, so I have, why not just send Mitch to get the key? I don't understand why, because it's not like Charlie knew where it was. Because she was rummaging through the kid's room. It's, she had no idea where it was. It would have been just as easy, and they had met Mitch, so they knew who he was, and they would have trusted him. So I have I have no idea why they decided that, that Samantha slash Charlie was the one who had to go in there with her blonde hair holding a sniper rifle while she was going to be the one to go in and get the key. Well... Jumping around a bit, I have a question, Brett. When she falls into the world's most conveniently located coal chute uh, in, towards the end of the movie, and she, as soon as she lands, she's in the dark, and she just starts blindly firing in a circle around her. Is that in, in secret agent training? Do you, do you remember the scene I'm talking about? I don't remember the scene you're talking about. So when Mitch is is locked up and like getting tortured or whatever, she's running around shooting people and she falls backwards, like down a little chute into like a basement. Dude, I don't remember that that scene. I mean, I remember her going into the farmhouse when she she, frees him. She ends up shooting the kerosene barrels. And that's how she fills the the baby doll head up. Okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking of you, you were talking about the torture scene where she goes in there and like it's got Mitch is in the floor like he's been tortured and she goes in there and shoots everything up and then opens the door and releases him. But OK, I know what you're talking about. Yes. No, that is bonkers. Yeah, I'm just like you could have you didn't know what was down there. You could have just blown yourself up or you could have had a ricochet off the wall and kill yourself. I'm like, you didn't know what was down there. Why would you just blindly start shooting machine guns? I just. A minor quibble, but I thought that was dumb as hell. It's also weird watching Charlie break down when she couldn't get the spark from the the axe. Like, that didn't feel... That felt... Again, where it doesn't go back to... It's like, is when is she Samantha? When is she Charlie? When is she breaking? Like, it's a cool scene to have the daughter. Then be like, oh, I have the matches. Which is another thing. Why the fuck did the kid have a candle? After she'd been kidnapped. She's... I mean, it's convenient. Well, I think it's she a nice had, she had it at home. She had it at home, so she didn't have the candle anymore. But she still had the match, right? But what I'm saying is that's how 
Charlie knew what room that she was being held in captive is there was a candle in the window. Oh, yeah. Where the fuck did she get the candle from? Yeah. Like, again, that, it's a nice callback. I like that they that, that comes back in the movie, but I immediately I'm like, where the fuck did the candle come from? Well, I have another question. Do freezers really go to negative 80 degrees? Like, because when he turns that dial, like that dial literally was like negative 80, negative 100. I'm like, I'm pretty sure freezers don't get that cold. Also, I'd imagine it would take a long, I mean, I know how long my air conditioner takes to get from 80 to 78 on a, on a summer day. I would imagine it, it's going to take a while for it to get that cold. You know, it's not an instant thing. It would have been better just to, I don't know, shoot them in the head if you were just going to kill them. Yeah, gotta gotta download the entire plan before you, you know, leave and don't ensure the job is done. <laughs> I gotta make sure that bitch is dead. Get me on the helicopter. Um, let's see. Uh, what other questions? I don't understand how Niagara Falls went so poorly. It was just the two of them. No one suspected them to be there. I just it it was weird. How Timothy finds Mitch just out in the in the wilderness it was one of those i'm like okay i understand this is an action movie this but like it just doesn't make no sense why they're even suspecting people to be out there um but yeah that's those were most of my my major questions with with what happened in this movie um i mean i honestly thought the movie was going to end with her driving the truck into the river because i think it was like oh once it reaches a certain temperature that's when it explodes i'm like oh it'll drive it into the winter and it'll be cold so it can't get there and blah, blah, blah. But instead, they just blow up the bridge. Um, so my my only other thing I had with the movie, and this isn't for the I have questions segment, but it is the the only character that really has any development in this movie is Mitch, correctly? Or am I, am I right in thinking that? Well, no, Brad. I mean, she like you said, she ends with long blonde hair. So she's kind of the best of both worlds. You don't consider that character development? That's character combinement. Um, but I don't know if I would call it development. Honestly, I don't even know because you already you already nailed it. Mitch has kind of already been a good dude. Like I, I know he mm-hmm. talks about himself negatively, but I don't I wouldn't even say that he has much development, if I'm being honest. I mean, yeah, to your point, there really isn't. I mean, it's just they reestablish him and give him another opportunity to to shine. That is bonkers. Like to, to your point. I wonder if in the original cut he didn't die like like yes they wanted him to die but I wonder if that had to be like the way he goes down changed so it was one of those you'd think he's dead but then he's really alive if in reality he would have saved the girl or he would have saved Caitlin but then you know Charlie still had to try and stop the bombing she had to try and stop the the city from exploding or if it really would have just been Mitch dies trying to be a hero yeah i don't the only reason i i don't think that it was much different than what we saw is because he gets shot in the fucking chest like he gets shot what once in the leg once in the chest Mm -hmm. like it seems like he's dead to rights um so that feels like that was a kind of at the 11th hour change but you know no way to know for sure yeah yeah because to your point if it was test audiences it had to have been pretty complete at that point so I don't know what reshoots would have been, so. All right, Charles, do you have any other questions, or would you like to move into our next segment? Uh, I think we can move on. 
All right. So I think we'll just do a little blue book. Ready for some blue book? I am ready. I did not cheat this week. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so the budget of this here flick was $65 million. What do you think it brought in U.S. and Canada? I'll say 49. You're 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 over by by a smidge. 33 million dollars is is what it had US and Canada. Do you want to guess what it brought home worldwide? Uh what was the US Canada gross one more time? 33 million. 33 I'll, so I'll go with an even 60 million. 89. So this is another instance like a kiss, kiss, bang, bang, where globally it made more than U.S. So is it, do they, are they adjusting the marketing campaign? Is Shane Black a big name outside the States? Because I would not have expected this movie to do a lot better, that much better outside the U.S. than inside the U.S. Yeah, because, I mean, this is way before the days of, like, cynical casting where you try to cast, you know, a Latin American actor or an Asian actor just to attract different markets. So I, I have no idea what it is about Shane Black that leads to global success. Hmm. Hmm. Don't know. Don't know. Well, that brings us to tag and title. You want to do some tag and title? Uh, probably my favorite segment of the show. Absolutely. How many adjacent titles do you want this week? Do you have more than two? Why? Well, I have a bunch. And I'll pick one on the fly. But I need to know how many adjacent titles do you want this I'll week? I'll give you two. I get two adjacent titles? You can, you can have two adjacent titles. So a total of, what, four, four. taglines? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Travis, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you four taglines this week. One will be an official tagline for this movie. One, two, sorry, two will be for movies I found adjacent, and one will be a tagline I created myself. I don't think you're going to have a hard time picking out, but we'll see. Are you ready to hear the taglines? I must warn you, Brett, I'm very familiar with the last Boy Scouts tagline, so just, just bear <laughs> that in mind. All right, all right. Everyone has something to hide. It's all coming back to her. Eight years ago, she lost her memory. Now a detective must help her remember the past before it buries them both. What's forgotten is not always gone. And go for the kill. Did you literally say eight years ago she lost? Mm-hmm. That seems... God damn it, I can't tell if you're if you're making this super easy to throw me off or you went super meta. I'm going to go out on the limb and I'm going to say that one is a little movie called The Truth About Charlie. Because that okay. would be very clever on your part. The Mark Wahlberg, I think, Tandy Newton. Okay. Your face tells me I'm wrong, but I'm going to stick with it. Um, is this a face that you can trust, though? That's the real question. <laughs> I can't trust you as far as I can throw you. Now, 
but I can throw you through a hole into a treehouse. So I can throw you pretty far. I was about far. to say. <laughs> um, do you need to hear the other three, or do you remember them? Uh, the it's all coming back to her. I think that you created that one because that's that's clever. Okay. That's nice. Give me the other two. Go for the kill. Everyone has something to hide. I would, just because it's so fucking random and stupid, I'm gonna say go for the kill as this movie. Okay. Like an official. And then I guess that leaves. What does that Everyone mean? Everyone has something to hide as a as another adjacent title, I believe is where you're at. Yeah. And you no. know what? Yeah. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah, that's another adjacent. Okay. So here's what here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna hedge my bets and I'm gonna say everyone has something to hide i'm gonna predict that's also the truth about charlie to give my ch myself a chance to nail it on one or the other so i'm gonna kind of game theory it this week so final okay answers. all right you 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 had two adjacent so i think that's fair so you got one of the four correct do you want to guess which of the four you got correct uh you made up it's all coming back to her yes that you got that one right that was that was well the done. eight years ago she lost her memory now a detective must help her remember the past before it buries them both what's forgotten is not always gone is an official tagline for this movie god the damn other it, option, i overthought it yep the other option i had was the most spectacular action scenes you've ever seen i thought that was a dog shit tagline and i refused to use it it's also um, a damn lie yeah so go for the kill was 2003's Kill Bill. Mm. Mm, pregnant woman, assassin, yeah. Yeah. Jason. Everyone has something to hide. A little a different, different side, not amnesia, but maybe somebody in hiding trying to escape a criminal organization. I'll let you know I've been watching a lot of Lord of the Rings lately. That's a little bit of a hint. 2005's A History of Violence. Ah. Mm-hmm. So well my other adjacent, I was going to give you born identity, but almost all of the born taglines had born in it. And I was like, well, that's too fucking easy. Like he's going to know you even brought up born identity in this. Um, the other one I had was back with a vengeance, which was 2004's kill bill volume two. And some memories are best forgotten, which was 2000's memento. So I, I had a, I had a, a few up my sleeve this week. Damn. I thought I, I was so impressed with myself. I thought for sure you were going to go, the truth about Charlie. I I, that, I I regret not doing it now, if that makes you feel better. It doesn't, you um, son of a bitch. Do you have anything more on time cap? I know that we did that earlier. So was there anything else you wanted to, to dive into, or did you pretty much conclude that? No, no, that was pretty much it. Just Rennie Harlan putting the final nail in his marriage's coffin by making <laughs> another bomb with his wife. And Listen, I, I just blame, to I do blame it right. Rennie Harlan 100%. Gina Davis is a yeah. saint. Uh, but she was, she was so good as Samantha. Ugh. It is one of those, like, she got pressured into being an action star, right? Like, no, no, you can do it. You can do it, hon. It's like, no, just let her be, just let her be the school teacher. Because that's fantastic. And anybody who doesn't want to watch that is an asshole. I forgot one question, Brett. Are, are CIA assassins, are they also, like, 
what is the correlation between being able to chop vegetables well? Like I can understand being skilled with a knife oh to kill somebody. God. That does not translate into chopping up carrots. Yeah, of all the things for her to have it, her CIA assassin is coming back to her that I guess it's supposed to be she was clumsy with knives and oh my God, now she's great with it. And then she throw like, I do love her boyfriend's reaction when she throws the knife through the tomato and he's like, there's something more here. Like he's, somehow he's already like, fuck <laughs> like i'm kind of rethinking this relationship hey Brett, first you let our friend die that. in a car yeah first you let our, our friend die in a burning car and now this like there seems to be i think you might be a sociopath psychopath i don't know murder machine um alrighty, that brings us to chop shop I will admit to the audience and to you, I apologize. I, this one is a little, it's a little light, um, especially for me. I didn't go hugely into rewriting the whole thing. I thought, because I got Oscar bait, and I thought, for the most part, we've discussed a lot of what I would have changed in this movie. It's not like sci-fi where like it's suddenly dra way more drastic or horror. Like there's, I feel like a lot of what would have made this Oscar bait where they would have just been taking some of the elements in this movie and, and pushing them further. So I didn't think it needed to be hugely rewritten. I will say I did something different than I normally do, and I I recast. I did some recasting in this because I thought that was some of the major problems. So I'll say. Uh, some of the stuff I took to kind of retool this and make it Oscar bait, I took a little bit of History of Violence, a little Born Identity, maybe a, a smidge of Kill Bill, and then uh, a touch of Lord of the Rings, because as I said, I've been watching the Peter Jackson trilogy, the extended cuts lately, so uh, I'm, yeah, maybe a little bit of an influence there. So, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to recast Samantha, a.k.a. Charlie. All right. I love Gina Davis. We've talked about how charming she was, but I think for this to work, you need someone who can be kind of that mom figure, but can also be a badass action star. And I can think of no one better to do that than Mrs. Emily Blunt. I think she'd, she'd, done, she'd like, be a little, Mary... she'd be a little young, Brett. This was 96. Emily Blunt? This, this, this was 96. I, I didn't we were remaking this now i'm not i'm not saying that i'm keeping she might have been who knows you know maybe that she would have been a rising star at that time who knows um and then for timothy i actually went a little kind of meta and i thought it'd be funny to to, to cast timothy Olyphant because i know you talked about it you thought the villain was about 75 percent there i did not respond well i thought he almost came off as <laughs> like a like a guiding light like a soap opera villain to me like it was just a little over the top like he felt like a comedian trying to be serious and it was a little off-putting to me or like he wanted to be like a psychopath and just couldn't do it uh what's up what it really feels like is it if you play if anybody plays fantasy football and you do an auction draft it feels like they spent all of their money on you know, Sam Jackson, Gina Davis, Brian Cox, uh, David Morris. And then they were like, 
oh shit, we still have to cast Timothy. What budget do we have? And like, uh, we've got like a dollar twenty-five left. And Craig <laughs> Bilko got the call. That's kind of what it feels like. So I love the Timothy Oliphant casting because mm-hmm. uh, he was the only redeeming thing about the Die Hard movie where he was the villain. I thought he played mm-hmm. a version of Timothy really well in that movie. Yep. So, and it's a weird thing. Like Brian Cox, so fucking great and very underutilized in this movie. Like when he's in the scene fucking awesome like that was one of the the because this is the first time i'd watch this movie when she gets put into water and he's dead under there like it's great because she knows to pull the gun i'm like oh that's a good callback like they've set that up on all that i'm like i'm like fuck i really wanted more brian cox i'm like i'm upset that he's dead and we won't get more of him now um so movie is going to open with samantha still being fun quirky mom because i think that's that's important to establish that Maybe still do the voiceover so we can establish her hiring the cheap PI. That was another thing that happened in this movie. I didn't realize that Sam Jackson or Mitch Hennessy was supposed to be a shitty PI. I thought, honestly, he was just kind of a crooked cop or so. Like, I didn't know what he was supposed to be until later when they're like, oh, he's actually investigating this. I'm like, oh, so I guess maybe when he was, he found the guy having sex with the prostitute. I'm like, is this him? Like, he caught a guy cheating on his wife and now he's kind of double dipping. Like, I, I, that I don't think was explained very well. Um, but back to my chop shop. So Samantha's going to discover her hidden skills, not because she drives off the road and mercy kills a deer and gets launched 500 feet. Um, but it's going to be more like a, like a history of violence where she's going to wind up like inadvertently saving people in like a diner or a mall or something like that. Maybe it's not even an action thing. Maybe it's like she runs into a burning building. I'm not quite sure, but that's also going to explain why she's on local news is maybe it's a, it's a Pennsylvania thing. It's like, Oh, local school teacher saves blah, 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 blah. It makes a lot more sense than the fucking parade. Um, so that's how she winds up getting on the radar of that uh another thing is i've decided that timothy is not going to be a bad guy of a terrorist instead he's just going to be kind of a a rival assassin for the cia um isn't necessarily corrupt and we'll get into why because what i want this movie so that we can make it oscar bait is this movie is going to grapple more with samantha's dual identities uh with neither one of them really fully taking control i don't want it to be it, or it's going to be split because that's where the Lord of the Rings thing comes, kind of like the Gollum Smeagol thing where it's like she'll be talking to herself in the mirror trying to figure out who she is. But um, after she's attacked by One-Eyed Bart, like neither one of the personalities is going to take full control. There's going to be kind of a, a, a tug, uh, you know, a tug of war between the two. Uh, we'll take a little bit, maybe a page from the Born Identity. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a dirty bomb because I think that's where, again, this kind of jumps the shark. And I don't think Oscar bait would have something that kind of over the top. Instead, it's just going to be kind of, you know, like a CIA black, you know, black ops hit squad type thing, illegal hit squad that she winds up being a part of and kind of has to decide if she's going to take down. But really, what I want the the majority of the movie is going to focus on a platform to discuss more so women having to decide between careers and family hidden behind uh like a secret agent kind of uh, espionage film because ultimately we'll use timothy is going to be her rival but he's going to wind up having the family and never had to worry about giving that up and it's going to be her now that she's samantha and has the kid does she like she has to try and choose between the two lives and that's something timothy never necessarily had to do 
In addition to that, we're going to wind up using Mitch and his relationship with his child as a contrast to what Samantha is trying to do. So Mitch is going to ultimately still be a little shady, but it's going to be one of those things where he tried to make both his professional life with being an Atlanta cop work and then his personal life with being a father. And what winds up happening is he's never really able to fulfill either and winds up failing at both of them. And that's kind of going to give a, a blueprint where like Samantha has to kind of make sure she can figure out what she's doing because she doesn't want to fall into the same, you know, basically path that, that Mitch did where he's regretting he wasn't necessarily there for his kid, but he also like gave up the career. So, you know, kind of going down that route. Um, the child won't be Timothy's, obviously. Um, I also think it would have been more interesting in this movie if they had never declared who the father was, because I don't think it is really relevant. It's almost it would have been more interesting to me for Charlie in the actual movie, not in my chop shot. If it had almost been like a Dark Knight, like a Joker thing where like Charlie is constantly telling other people that like it's their kid. Granted, it would I know it gets down the whole thing like is she using her sexuality, you know, to to get with around but it's one of those things where it would have been more interesting where it's just like she just throws that out there because she just has no compassion and doesn't care about the kid and then it gives her the opportunity to kind of grow into that no this is my kid i can't be using them as a tool for you know to to further myself but um yeah that's ultimately where i wanted the movie more to grapple with again samantha and charlie the duality of of those you know, very specific. I'm, um, you know, a mother. She's a school teacher, but ultimately chosen that life versus kind of the life of adventure and assassination and, and figuring out how to more so balance those rather than having to choose one or the other. Um, and then for the score, I thought we could actually choose John Powell, who did the score for the Born Identity, because I think he has a good like espionageist thing um, that could that kind of help it out. But again. Not a lot there for my chop shop this week, but that is ultimately if I had decided to write out a lot more, that's kind of the direction I was going to take the plot and, and try and make this Oscar worthy. I like it. Um, I just I had a random thought pop into my head while you were talking. Uh, this movie plays with it just a little bit. What if they made this movie, but it was kind of a little bit closer to Fight Club where Charlie is secretly working against Samantha's own interests and she does not realize it until the third act. Like what if her Charlie persona was helping plan project honeymoon without Samantha's knowledge? I mean, that would be interesting to me. The biggest thing is that how do you redeem it? Like it would it be like a fight club where somehow Samantha has to kill Charlie in order for her to kind of break free of that and be able to move on. And then, you know, does she have in the sequel, she could have guilt, you know, about what she did as Charlie and all that. But yeah, I, it, that would be interesting. Yeah. It just popped into my head. Cause there's like a, like a, a brief scene, I think where the, the Charlie character is talking to Samantha, like in her dream where it feels like mm -hmm. they're really two different people. So I think that's another interesting direction you could go with this movie. Yeah, that's something they never really declare. Is it like, like they play with the idea like they're two completely different people occupying that body, but then at the same time they kind of don't do that. So, you know, Charlie's like, no, Samantha was completely fake. There was nothing there. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, maybe there was a little bit of me. And I'm like, so what the fuck was it? Like, what actually happened here? Yeah, just, I think, I don't know, kind of weird and lazy, if you ask me.
So again, it's it's classic Shane Black. Like, don't think about any of this too 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 hard, or the the mm-hmm. cards start to fall. But I think that about does it. Uh, I don't have. I mean, I guess we could talk about recommendations and stuff like that. Uh, I thought it's. It's an okay movie. I didn't hate watching it. It is certainly one of those when we talk about there's other movies that have done everything in this movie better. Hell, Shane Black alone has done two other movies. So if you like this, he's done two better versions of this movie. I will say it's probably I would watch it again to see Samuel L. Jackson as Mitch Hennessy. I just think that's a fan his sense of style and just that he's a fantastic character again. My favorite, his his final line, I like to be frank and earnest with all women. I just so much of what he does is is fantastic in the movie. So it's worth a watch. It is just it's just a little all over the place. You know, it it winds up transforming what it wants to be into something else. It seems like. Yeah, I think if you're gonna watch this one, first of all, don't do what we did. Don't watch it the week after you've watched the nice guys and kiss kiss bang bang because it feels lesser in comparison but this is a fun movie it's kind of one of those when it's good it's funny it's enjoyable when it's bad it's usually bad in the kind of way that we enjoy you know mm-hmm. you can get a you know wow that shotgun just blew a six foot hole six six foot wide hole in a wall so even when it's bad it, it still makes you laugh so yeah fun movie to put on in the background but way down the list of of my go-to Shane Black. Yeah. Did you like when the daughter was was yelling at her mom and repeating back the line from the the ice skating? The, what yeah, that you want to talk about kind of toxic messaging like uh... Yeah, I know that's what even just the ice skating. I, I just it made me laugh cuz I'm thinking like I like the idea that Mitch is being chased by CIA assassins in their car. And Charlie takes the time to take her shoes off and lace up a pair of ice skates so she can ice skate across the lake because she somehow knows they're going to be on the other side of the lake and she'll be able to take them down. Yeah, I was watching and I was like, yeah, you know, I'll buy it because, yeah, you can skate a lot faster than you can run. But to your point, what if she just gets out on the lake and they take a right and she's like, well, shit, now I'm out on this lake on, with ice skates on and nothing to do. <laughs> that would have been just a fantastic like alternate scene where just them driving off and her just like standing in the middle of the lake with her like shoulders hunched over. And she's like, oh, shucks. <laughs> like, I hope they come back. <laughs> just her walking barefoot with the ice skates over her shoulder, just trying to run no, after the it would car have to be her like like shaky ankles like walking <laughs> on the road with the ice skates but then she'd get into a fight and, like she'd cut like she'd kick someone in the throat and slit their throat open with the ice skate to make it badass again uh again it's it's in the same vein as 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 face off i just think face off is probably more fun because face off really goes over the top and i feel like this one just kind of flirts with it it flirts with it after flirting with being kind of a cool movie about a mom dealing with the fact that she's an assassin. Yeah, and I think the other reason why Face Off is a better, you know, batshit crazy movie is because, like you said, once Gina Davis has the blonde hair dye, it's 
it's just a Mitch movie. Whereas in Face Off, Travolta and Cage are always like hitting that ball back and forth like a tennis match. Mm-hmm. Whereas once whatever Rennie Harlan's wet dream is, it takes over the movie. It's Mitch Hennessy hitting the ball and it doesn't ever come back over the net. It's also weird. The whole torture scene where they put her on the wheel and they're doing the water. Why did they put her in a nightgown? Like a nighty? Like it's just other than the fact that the director wanted to do it. Like there's no reason at all. Even in a movie like this where logic is suspended, why they would have changed her out, like changed her clothes to torture her. Also, it's been eight years since they've seen her. Do they just assume that she's big on cardio? Because they put her under the water for a really long time. I'm like, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, if they were trying to torture me and get information, the first time they took me out of the water, I'd be dead because I'd have already drowned. So it's like, I, I always think that's a risky proposition. Like, yeah, she was a super spy eight years ago, but maybe now she just likes to, you know, uh, eat carbs and sit on the couch. Travis, you say that they established that in the movie. Oh, look what she did to my body. Oh, Charlie, you used to be in better shape. They established that. That's a good point. I didn't ignore that logic. (laughs) Yeah, so it'd be a whole different, you know, a whole different movie if uh, David Morris wheels her up and she's just already dead. Guess I'm not getting my information. Ooh, whoops. <laughs> whoops a daisy. Oh, boy. All right. So final verdicts, I think we both said worth watching. Just be careful. You don't, you know, put it at the tail end of two better movies. <laughs> that do all the exact same things down to like lines of dialogue. Yeah. So. Alrighty, sir. Well, I think next week we'll start off our socially obligated Halloween trilogy. I know we've decided on at least two of the movies. I think we're still up for the third one. Uh, I have have a suggestion. Okay. Okay. I think we should do something that you teased maybe over a year ago. I think we should do Jurassic Park. I still remember you saying that you think it's one of the greatest horror movies of all time, which is not it a is. take a lot of people have. I'd be very interested to hear your analysis on that. So I'm going to throw it out there. See, I want I want to do that, but I, technically this is they're supposed to be Halloween season movies, and that's my only concern with not doing it. Ah, uh, you're going to put me in a weird spot. So we're definitely I mean, we doing. Are- we're doing nope. I mean, okay. I don't know if that's right. traditional horror. All right, we can do. We're, this is going to be a weird, socially obligated Halloween season. We're going to do nope, Hocus Pocus two, which I don't think either of us remember anything about Hocus Pocus. So we're going into that one basically blind. The sequel basically I've never blind. Seen it. I've never seen the I, first. I saw it as a kid and I literally remember that there's a cat that was a boy. And that's all I remember about that. That's literally all I remember about that movie. Um, you, I honestly could be just confusing it with Sabrina, the teenage witch, the series with whatever that cat's name was. Um, and then I guess we might do Jurassic park as the third movie, because I stand by my claim that it is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. So, yeah, maybe 75% chance we'll do Jurassic Park or maybe between now and next week, Brett and I will completely change it up and throw something else out there. You'll just have to see. Never knew. Yeah. All right, sir. Uh, Yeah. Final words. It's not a dick. It's a duck.
I like to sing when I'm doing things so I don't forget them. <laughs> oh, God, I can't wait to talk about this one. <laughs> I am glad. I know we talked about it last week. I'm glad this was the last one of the trilogy as opposed to us finishing with the nice guys because it makes it, I think, more ripe for discussion. <laughs> yes. Yes, very much agree. <laughs> 